Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property, I'm Peter Switzer and this week we ask is this the time to buy an investment property and if so do you choose a short term or a long term tenant and where are the big bucks to be made? We do that with property expert Margaret Lomas from destiny.com.au and then we catch up with the CEO direct at Charter Hall, Steve Bennett and look into what's it like investing in property funds like Charter Halls with the coronavirus. And then we uh, do a bit of a at the cold face segment with Paul Miliotis and Paul Mirren, the founders of M Squared Capital. So let's kick off with Margaret Lomas. Well, you know, at this time with the property sector under challenges from the coronavirus, we got a, a number of questions from some viewers and we thought the perfect person to answer these questions was Margaret Lomas from destiny.com.au. Margaret, thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you for having me. And as I say, these questions are right up your alley. The first one goes, the pros and cons of having a long-term versus a short-term tenant in a property investment. Okay, they're, they're quite long, uh, but let's go quickly through the, I guess, the pros of having someone in a long-term lease. And of course, that is that you have pretty assured rent. Most states have laws that mean that if someone's in a lease, they can't break it. They have to see out that lease unless they can find someone to take it over. And that means that you know exactly what you're going to be getting for the term of the lease, whether that be six months, whether that be 12 months, however long that is, you know exactly what you're going to be getting. So if you get a good tenant, then you can also keep a very long-term tenant. And a lot of people like that security around having, having that tenant. A long-term tenant probably costs you less in expenses because you don't have to be in there cleaning the property. Even repairs tend to not need doing quite as often with a long-term tenant. Many long-term tenants might even do some of those smaller repairs themselves, like you know things like changing light globes and some of those easier things. Uh, a long-term tenant is more inclined to do that. And the property management is cheaper if you're getting someone to manage it for you on a long-term lease because the property manager also has to do less. They only have to find a tenant once every now and then. And they don't have to be that involved. They only have to, to collect the rent for you. Now, and of course, the last thing is that the banks like it better. So they're, they're happier to take your income from a long-term lease as um, serviceability for your loan, or at least 80% of it, whereas it's not the same with a short-term lease. Now, the downside, of course, is that you do have that tenant stuck in there. If you don't like them, it can be very hard to get them out. And particularly at the moment with the COVID-19 situation, there's no getting anyone out of a property, even if they're not paying the rent. So that can be difficult. If we didn't have that situation, a long-term tenant who stops paying rent, there's still quite a process to go through to get them out. Now, the short-term uh, benefits are, of course, that you can get probably more money for the property. So a short-term tenant, if you're doing a nightly rate or even a weekly rate and you're, say, holiday letting, then you often can get more money. Corporate leases, which are often one to three months, also pay more money. So that's the upside. The downside, of course, is that you have more expenses, property management's more expensive, you've got to clean the property more often, you have to carry out all of the repairs, you won't have a short-term tenant doing that. And if it is a holiday property, 
any kind of event can affect whether or not you're going to get a tenant. So COVID-19, for example, people with holiday properties are all sitting with no tenants at the moment. A downturn in tourism, a change in the, the value of the Aussie dollar. There's so many outside influences on whether or not you're going to get a tenant and you can suffer much longer periods of vacancy on those short-term leases. Uh, where is the higher average yield? Um, long term or short term? That depends on where your short term property is. So if your short term property exists in an area, say it's holiday let and it's an area that people are always going to go to, then you probably will get more money out of that short term lease, even though it won't be occupied as often. So very often in a good holiday area, in an eight to 10 or 12 week period. So that's your Easter holidays, your September holidays and Christmas. You can often make the same as or more money than you can make from having a permanent tenant in there. And for those who do have those holiday properties, they might like that idea because they can then use the property themselves in the off season if they wanted to do so. Bear in mind though, there's tax consequences of using your own property in that you can't claim a tax deduction for the entire year if it's not available for rent the entire year. Having said that, you might have a short-term rental in an area that really goes through lots of different cycles. So popular this year, not so popular next year, or affected by cyclones or outside events affect whether or not people are going to go there, in which case, that long-term tenant yield is going to be more. Mm. Now, Margaret, I know you uh, are a, you know, essentially an educator and advisor to people who want to get into investment properties. Has there been a trend that some of the people that you know, you've been advising, that they were actually buying properties on the basis that they could use Airbnb as a pretty reliable source of income? Yeah. And if so, has the coronavirus sort of been the, the black swan they never wanted? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are a number of people who have purchased Airbnb properties. I actually have one myself as well, which interestingly was long-term leased. And I made the decision at the end of last year when the 12-year tenant moved out to turn it into an Airbnb. So one could suggest that my timing was impeccable because, you know, we turned it into an Airbnb. We got tons of bookings just in the first three days of advertising it and bang, it just all stopped and cancellations and Airbnb is kindly paying 25% of that income that I otherwise would have received for those cancelled bookings, which is a little bit of a bonus, I guess. But there are other people in that situation and my suggestion is that you should never be taking on any kind of a short-term property unless you can afford to be without the rent. So if you're relying on that property to either create for you an eventual retirement income, or if you need the constant rent in order to help you pay a mortgage, then don't Airbnb it, don't put it onto the holiday market because you might be disappointed. Okay. Before I start talking about the tax treatments, um, I, I want to bring up one issue listening to you. Given the fact that international travel is going to be effective, obviously for at least until the end of the year, rolling probably into 2021, a lot of people are suggesting that intrastate and interstate tourism and travel 
will really become bigger as we get more into this year, which then could actually help the people with Airbnb properties in places like the Central Coast, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, Margaret River, and so on and so forth. Are you expecting to see that kind of thing? I'm hoping to see that kind of thing, and I should think that that would be correct. My Airbnb property is in a tropical location, and I would think that people will take their holidays inside Australia. You know, Australians are those kinds of people who they like to make the best out of a bad deal, but they don't like to have to go without things. And I just know that when we get out of this lockdown, everybody's going to be going overboard and getting back to doing all the things that they haven't been able to do. Yeah. And I almost feel like people are going to do it all at once. I've already been talking to people who, who claim they're going to be, you know, in the pub and in the restaurants every night of the week for a good month. <laughs> uh, and I do believe that that will happen. But I really want to call caution people not to get excited about that and to run out and buy an Airbnb property thinking, well, the next 12 months is going to be amazing and we'll maximise our rent return. You may do that, but it's only going to be 12 months. At some point, we will be back to normal and those same drawbacks of having a holiday-let property will come back and exist. Property investing isn't short term. It's not the next 12 months. It's 10 or 15 years. Mm. And your property needs to perform for that entire 10 or 15 years. i got to say, as soon as we can travel, I bet I'm going to be competing with a lot of people who are going to be heading to Port Douglas just to get some sunshine. It's funny because I've actually just booked a holiday to Port Douglas myself. But anyone who wants to go to Ellie Beach, I know uh, where there's a great property. <laughs> Okay, radio. Thanks, Margaret. Good plug. Okay, what are the tax treatments and any other considerations? investments. Mm. So the only, there's no real difference between a short-term or a long-term investment in terms of tax treatment. So the tax treatment for any investment property is that any income that comes in is taxable any expense that you have on a property is deductible and that deduction will reduce the income on which you're paying tax um, and sometimes take it into negative territory so you're getting some of your own tax back as well. But what I will say, and I know I, I mentioned it earlier, if you have a holiday property that isn't available for rent 365 days a year, you take it off for two weeks or four weeks so that you can use it yourself, then you also can't claim all of the deductions. So the same amount has to be taken off the deductions. If, you rent, if you're renting it out for 40 weeks a year, you have to pro rata those deductions to be the same thing. So that's the important thing to know. And the other thing is that you probably will have more deductions on a, an Airbnb or a, a holiday let property because you can claim things like the cleaning and the, you know, the cleaning products and any essentials that you put into that property for your tenant and the wear and tear on the towels and, and all of those sorts of things and probably all of that depreciation on furniture, which you're unlikely to have in a long-term lease. Now, that depreciation yeah, on the furniture is the thing that's probably attractive. The expenses, you've got to pay for them anyway to get the, the money back. But in terms of the furniture, you pay for that once and then you depreciate it over time. And that can help you to get back that little bit more tax as well. Yes, yeah, really good point. 
Um, Margaret, um, what would be your general advice for investors looking to get into the market right now? Before you give your answer, people have been asking me and I, I've been saying, if I was to buy something, I would just show up to as many auctions and, um, and open houses at the moment because between now and when eventually the market rebounds, some, anyone who's putting their mar house on the market now are probably desperate and they might just do a deal. Mm. What do you think? Well, the first thing that I want to say is that if you are a, someone who wants to be a property investor or you're already a property investor and you think that property investing is how you want to get organised toward a retirement income, if you are a person who does not have 100% job security, now isn't the time, no matter how opportunistic the market looks. So I really want to encourage people to be very, very careful. Sometimes strange things happen to people when it comes to property investing and they become a little bit careless and they don't think it through and think about the long-term impact. If you buy a property as an investment, you will have a mortgage. If you don't have a tenant, you will be paying that mortgage. So even if you think, well, property, I'm going to be able to pick up a real bargain now because people are going to be desperate to sell, then that's fine as long as you know that there's a chance that we'll have a second wave, another virus, any other impact like this again, and it could mean you'll have no income on it. So you're left holding the baby on your own. Now, if you're okay with that and you think that's worthwhile, then yes, there are opportunities at the moment. But I don't, I'm not as convinced as many other commentators that the depth of that opportunity is going to be as great as people are saying. I think that, you know, the moment we start to get out of our isolation, we will adjust and return to normal relatively quickly. That's that's who we are in Australia. We get back to the yeah. job nice and quickly. And I think that people are just going to get straight back in there and start buying property again. If there's a window that exists, it's probably now before we come out of lockdown. So I think if you've got the money, go out now. Good luck getting the finance from the bank, I might add. That's very difficult at this moment in time because the bank's equally con uh, concerned about you having difficulty with your tenant and potential loss of rent. But if you've got the money or you can get the money and you've got that solid job, you've only got a small window in my opinion and that window probably exists more in the mid-range to high-range properties because they're the ones that people lose the most on in a market going backward. You know, someone who owns a property that's only worth $300,000 if they lose 10% of the value, it's only 30,000 and most people won't sell for that. But if you've got a million dollar property and you lose 10%, it's 100,000. So it's really only in those higher end properties. And you know how I feel about those, Pete, for investment purposes anyway. Yep, yep. All right, final question, and we, you always get it from me, but this comes from our viewer. Do you see any city slash suburbs offering spectacular opportunities, not just good, but spectacular, for entry into the market right now. So no, <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing spectacular is really jumping out at me. It's interesting, at the moment, we're actually seeing a recovery in some of those mining towns. So the ones in northern WA, I don't recommend people ever buy in a mining town just because we know what happened the last time around. People buying in at seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars 
getting $1,500 a week rent return. And within a short period of time, their properties were only worth $200,000 and they had no tenant. That was quite devastating for people. Some of those $200,000 properties still exist now and they're on their way up. And if you take Caratha as an example, the replacement cost of a property in Caratha is around about $450,000. So if you went up and bought a block of land and built a property, that's what you're in for. You can buy something that already sits on a block of land, already exists with the tenant for only about $250,000 at the moment. And there are signs that it is on the way up. So if you're a speculator and if you're able to set I guess the equivalent of a stop loss where you set a price that your property gets to on its way up that you will sell at to get back out, then it's probably a good time to buy. Or if you're happy to ride up and then ride all the way back down again to you what you originally paid, then now is a good time to buy. In terms of capital cities, I don't see anything very spectacular happening there either. I think Sydney's still a little too high in price for us to see a lot. I think if you're a homeowner, so an owner-occupier rather than an investor, now's a very good time if you're moving in that, say, $800,000 to $1.2 million range. You should see some good buys in that range right now. That's kind of the hot area where more people seem to be selling at the present moment in time. Of course, I always like Brisbane only because it's steady and you get a good rental yield. Yep. And my thoughts on those northern suburbs of Brisbane still stand, university development, everything else that's going up there, makes it a pretty good long-term buy for people without much risk and a good rental return. Margaret, as always, thanks for joining us on the program. Thanks for having me. Well, we know the property sector right across the board is under pressure from the coronavirus. And so we're talking to Charter Hall's CEO Direct, Steve Bennett. Steve, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter. So for people who aren't sure of what Charter Hall's business is, explain it in a nutshell, mate. Yeah, look, Charter Hall, we, we manage approximately $40 billion of Australian institutional grade property. Uh, we focus primarily on the office, industrial and logistics, uh, the social infrastructure, as well as the non-discretionary retail side of things. Um, typically, uh, we have around two thirds of the money that we manage. We manage on behalf of some of the world's and Australia's uh, largest pension and superannuation funds, as well as sovereign wealth funds. But the business that uh, myself and the team look after in direct manages about five and a half billion. And we provide that institutional quality assets that make it available to retail, high net wealth and self-managed super fund clients. Okay, so basically, um, once again, to go one step further, give us an example of maybe something that you've bought that ultimately generates income that people then can invest in. And look, you just nailed it. Uh, why do people look at commercial property in, in this space, it's because of the income return you can get. And a good recent example in our direct industrial fund number four, it's got around 600 million worth of assets. Uh, we picked up a, a property in Preston's. For those that don't know Western Sydney, it's uh, near the M5, M7 motorways. And what that is, is that's leased to a, a tenant main freight who are a multi-billion dollar New Zealand listed company in the logistics space. And what that means is it throws out around 5.5% income 
for our clients. And that's what we try and do across our suite of funds. They're five and a half to six and a half percent income. And I've seen plenty of your shows, uh, Peter, where investors are looking for that regular and growing income stream. And I think it's only getting harder in a world where interest rates will be lower for longer. Yeah, and certainly we've seen banks cut their dividends and, and banks in the past have been effectively a rival to you guys because they're, they're paying those kinds, mm. kinds of returns. Now, what are the challenges for you as a company to try and get those kinds of results during the coronavirus period? Look, uh, I think we're quite fortunate in many ways. And, and I say that because the way Charter Hall set up the business and the, the underlying suite of products is that We've always focused on long whale assets. So whale, just we love our jargon in property, weighted average lease expiry. So we, we tend to focus on the longest possible leases and um, typically our funds are eight to 10 years, the average lease term. But that's only as good as the tenants that are paying the rent. So we've overlaid it. We focus on the strength of the covenant. Again, a fancy way of saying, uh, does your tenant have a good balance sheet, cash flow? Will they be around to make those payments for the terms of the lease? And um, what we're seeing is um, some short-term, um, look, the fact we're doing this remotely, Peter, rather than me in your office means things are different. And our focus at Charter Hall is, is really helping those small and medium enterprise tenants who are going through a difficult time. And ultimately, we want to work with them because it's in our investors' best interest that those tenants come through the other side as viable businesses and ultimately, that's the best way we can uh, look after our investor capital's uh, uh, value in the long term. So I, I guess what you're also implying is that if there was no coronavirus, your, your level of income from your tenants would have been much higher and much more certain than it's going to be because there has to be some concessions you have to make. The government's asked all mm. landlords and, and property owners to make it you know, comfortable for their, their, their related businesses to get through this tough patch. But on top, despite that, you're fairly confident that you can come out the other side and still keep paying pretty good returns? Oh, look, definitely. I've, uh, we've got 10 funds in the suite that rolls up into the direct business. Of those, eight have had no change in the distribution rate, Peter. So why is that the case? Well, it's because of the tenants that are in there. For one of the funds, 54% of the income is paid for by federal and state governments. Then you've got um, other groups like Coles, Horizon, uh, Westpac uh, as your tenants. So you don't need to offer them any relief. So the portion of the small and medium enterprise tenants in our portfolio is very small in a relative sense. So it doesn't mean that everything, um, uh, you don't need to make some allowances. The two funds where we did slightly reduce the distributions, even after after the reductions are still all paying greater than 5.6%. And we expect that they'll be just in the short term to help out some of those small and medium enterprise tenants. Mm. So ultimately, I guess, from your point of view, um, provided that the, the getting back to business phase, which the Australian economy is moving into, as long as that uh, works out uh, without a serious second wave problem, which results in a lockdown, close down sort of situation, you must be comfortable about the outlook for the company? Yeah, look, we are, and, and that's no accident. The sectors that we've uh, purposely focused on 
Uh, we're now the second largest owner of industrial and logistics property in the country. Um, they're actually, uh, there's been a long-term trend for people moving to that e-commerce side of things. All, all the negative headlines about discretionary uh, high street retail, you need to flip it around and look at where's the, where's that demand going and where it's going to is online. And what you are seeing is people that have never bought something online before in their life have now had to do that because we're all based out of home. And what that's done is it's sped up that long-term trend of the driver of e-commerce and ultimately uh, sectors like industrial logistics should actually come out a winner once you get through the some of the initial short-term volatility. Yeah. And I guess the, the long-term impact will be a lot of your customers who, who well, the customers of the properties that you're invested in, mm. they will be, uh, have, have more business and probably need more space and all that sort of stuff as more people buy stuff online at a greater amount because they've been locked up for six or seven weeks. Yeah, look, ab absolutely. And um, uh, in many ways, though, we've set up the business so these short-term fluctuations don't impact our business like they would if we focused on short-term leases and tried to pick directionally the markets. Um, look, I often get asked, what's the forecast? And I consciously don't make forecasts because as um, one of my old bosses used to say, the problem with that is it's about the future. What I, what we do do is we look at the long-term trends. And for that reason, as a group, we've tended to steer away from the large, uh, big shopping centre malls where there's a lot of fashion uh, retailers because it's been pretty clear they'll be under pressure for, for quite a while. And we've pivoted to that industrial logistics um, quite early, um, many, many years ago. And in certain parts of the business, having scale really begets scale because your tenants will want to expand and you'll have land banks or you can move them between uh, properties. So look, as a group, um, we're, we're quite pleased with the, the sectors that we're focused on. But look, in this current environment where many groups are doing it tough, uh, some smaller tenants are struggling, it's in everyone's best interest that you really work with them. Um, and and ultimately, what's good for the tenants in these cases will be great for the investors. Okay, so if if someone wanted to uh, get exposure to these industrial properties in one of your funds, mm. how do they go about that? Look, uh, so we've got a, a fund, direct industrial fund number four. It's over $600 million worth of assets, 20 properties, uh, the average lease term, so the average whale, nine and a half years. And that's that's open for investment. Um, that What we run is open-ended funds where people can make the call on when they come in. Uh, what I would say, unlisted property, people need to go in with their eyes open. Uh, they are illiquid. So I often tell people uh, if they want to come in and try and time the market and get out in six months, well, look, these aren't the products for you. But if you've got a three or five year investment term, you want income uh, yields of five to six and a half percent, which typically grows over time as the, the rental increases come through, then have a look at this stuff for your for your unlisted or illiquid part of your, your investment portfolio. I guess we've learned that super funds get involved in illiquid investments as well. So a lot of people who try to you know, reproduce a super fund as self-managed super fund uh, investors basically you know, can think about the same sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, I think people also need to realise in your self-managed super fund, what level of diversification can you get? Um, if you've got a couple of hundred thousand dollars, you might be buying a small industrial warehouse at, um, in Melbourne or Western Sydney, 
or you can look at a fund which is much higher quality um, because we've managed to pool investors' capital and make accessible these institutional grades. So the, the, the stuff that the big super funds or the pension funds invest into, but make it available. And look, uh, you're right. We, we saw a lot of the super funds um, get a little bit caught out. Uh, I don't necessarily think that it, all the commentary has been very fair. Uh, when you get the government changing regulations on early release in a, a very quick way that wasn't necessarily factored in, I think it's it's quite difficult to be too hard on people that set up their their businesses and the funds uh, based on a particular set of regulations in place. Um, equally, we recently had our entire portfolio in the industrial uh, fund valued at 31 March, and we actually saw a slight increase in the valuations. Um, we'll also get the portfolio valued again at 30 June. So in this time, we're getting more frequent uh, independent valuations. And as I said it before, I'm not going to make forecasts, but that level of transparency and regularity of the valuations we think is very important to be able to provide that to our clients. Okay, Steve, thanks for joining us, mate, and good luck going forward. Thank you, Peter. Have a good day. Well, each week on The Property Show, we like to catch up with people who are actually at the coalface in the property market, in the lending market, to see what's going on right now. And uh, Paul Miliotis and Paul Viren are the founders of M Squared Capital. Let's just catch up to see what's going on in their space. Well, so Paul Miliotis, uh, <laughs> I pronounced it right this time, um, explain to us what M Squared Capital does. M Squared Capital, we're a non-bank lender, Peter. Um, so we match borrowers that need money mm. um, with investors that want to get a return for that money. Yeah and we secure the investors' interests via mortgages over property. Okay, so mortgages are really important to you mm. and therefore I guess the price of, of the properties that you're holding is reasonably important. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything worrying you about the coronavirus and the mortgages effectively that you hold behind the investments? Look, we're fairly comfortable uh, for a number of different reasons. Mm. Um, first of all, is that we have a really good buffer between the value of the asset and the amount that we lend What's normally. The What's the buffer? It's about 35%. Okay. So really for property prices to fall more than 35% or 35%, yeah. that's when we start getting very worried. Mm. Uh, the other thing that we are quite concerned about is when unemployment gets to you know, 8 9%, because yeah. yeah, obviously the businesses aren't able to afford to pay the mortgage payments. Yeah. Um, but essentially, we are quite a defensive. So all your lending price. is effectively backed by mortgages. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and because, you know, if, if, a, if, a, if a property was, say, worth a million dollars, someone wouldn't get any more than 650000 from you. And mm -hmm. so if they go kaplunk, you would take the property and there'd be a very good chance that you get all your money back. Precisely. Okay, fine. We get it. We get it. Okay. So what's it like being you guys right now? Because you... You prefer <laughs> not to have a coronavirus unsettling the the landscape that you've done all your risk management on. Now you're an accountant, so how's it look? Initially, your initially, initially, we did have hmm. um, significant, um, let's concerns. say, concerns about COVID. Yeah. Um, we did a complete risk assessment on our book, yeah. and look, there are people that were showing signs of pain, mm. um, particularly when um, you have the government coming in and saying, well, if you have duress on your rents, um, do a deal with your landlord. Yeah, yeah. So the issue is the serviceability of the mortgages. Now, mm. um, in our business, well, I don't want to talk specifically about our business, but mm. as an industry, mm. um, when you have a, a 
swan, black swan event yeah. like that. Curve or of unknown proportions. It, it yep. does cause issue, but I yep. also think it's important on which actual asset class you're lending against. Yeah. So we believe that this crisis is very much like the GFC in terms of asset value. Mm. Um, we believe that if you're secured by a residential property, you might see a blip. Mm. Um, you might see a decrease in value, maybe 5 7%. That's our view. Mm. If you're secured against commercial property, we do see risk there. Mm. Um, we think that the lag on commercial property to recover is going to be a lot longer. Because the landlords will fight harder to get yeah. the, the right rent, therefore the value of the property goes down. That That's right. Yeah. So the, we're lucky in our current weighting of our book that commercial is only a small portion of it. Um, in saying that, when you look at the GFC numbers, um, commercial property dropped actually significantly more than residential. Mm. It dropped about 20, 22%, let's say, round numbers. Yeah. So even if you're, you do have a bit more risk if you're secured against commercial in this, in this environment. Mm. That's our view. All right, so given what's happening now, and, and remember, the, the Prime Minister initially told us that we might see the economy going to hibernation for six months. Mm. It's looking like we, we're going to get back a lot earlier than six months. Is that a good thing, you think, for both the mortgage market and a business like yours? Absolutely. Mm. The quicker everyone gets back to work, the better it is for all stakeholders in our market. Mm. Um, not only for from a commercial perspective or financial perspective, but from a mental health perspective as well. Uh, we would like to see people be able to enjoy life and come back to their normal life and make money and, and enjoy the good things in life as well. So, um, look, a, a quicker recovery will be fantastic. Okay. Well, you guys don't know, but an earlier guest on the program, Chris Joy, is actually saying that uh, house price falls will not be significant. In fact, he's expecting a quite a substantial kickback in prices, yeah. 2021 mm. as well. Is, is that your hope or is that your 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 calculation? Yeah. Look, uh, we both can answer this, we, we this question. He yeah. loves, he loves the economics the behind it, so we care yeah. about yeah. it. Yeah. But, um, right. In terms of our business, I think, look, there's nothing sexy about what we do. Mm. Um, now, you guys are not sexy. No, I was waiting for that as well. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes it's no, good to be in... in <laughs> <laughs> we won't take any offence yeah. this time. <laughs> so, so sometimes it's good to be a bit boring. Um, with our kind of business, you, our investors are making money whether it's good or bad um, in that there's, they're taking a buffer, as Paul mentioned, with the, with the security properties. When things recover, we've got more buffer, everyone's happy, and, and it does make a difference. But we also see in this market a massive opportunity when um, it's a bit counter-cyclical. So we are finding that you know, other competitors are not lending any more money. So our investors can kind of pick and choose what they're doing. There, there are advantages uh, if you've got the right borrower as well. So we should explain why um, the current mortgage market, which has basically mm. been defined by what we saw before the coronavirus, mm. put, put the coronavirus effect on top of that. Why was there an advantage or an opportunity for you guys to, to get into the game? Well, before there was a lending gap uh, in the marketplace, meaning there was an opportunity there for a niche lender such as ourselves to find um, areas of the market that are not looked after very, very well by competitors. Yeah, um, like the name of the banks. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and we believe that the risk associated with those lending opportunities is very low, so therefore the investors are getting a, a premium or good return. So uh, a, a business like ours will make money before a crisis, during a crisis, and after a crisis because of two very important elements. And the elements are, is that we are secured, mm. 
Um, and basically, the return that we have is a premium because there's a gap in the market. Mm. So, so because you lend out at a higher rate to the business borrowers mm -hmm. who put up properties yep. as, as security, you then can pay a higher interest rate to people who want to save via your your um, product as opposed to a yeah. banking product. The only difference is, of course, banks have that government guarantee, yep. uh, and that's, but that's why the interest rates are really low on them and yours is going to be higher than that. And our guarantee is based on the securities that we actually choose to secure the loan mm. against. Yeah. So you know, we have, we have a, a, a borrower who has cash flow that we test through our credit to make sure they can pay it, and we make sure that we, we only lend against quality security, okay. and mostly on the Eastern Seaboard. Well, I guess, you know, given the, the ground we've covered so far... It's pretty, pretty good. Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, is, is this a, a good time to invest? Yeah. yeah. Why? Well, a good investor... I love the way you said... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I wasn't grieving. <laughs> no, no, the reason why it's a good time to invest is that good investors make money in any type of market. Mm. Um, so essentially right now is a very good time to invest because what we're finding, what we're finding right now is that because of the COVID-19, our competitors, such as the bank, is mm. very preoccupied in dealing with their borrowers mm. and not necessarily looking at new opportunities as well. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, does that mean, uh, Paul, that there are, there's maybe a longer queue of potential customers for you to lend to because the banks are, I guess, assisting mm. the, the government in the rescue plan? So there's going to be prior priorities of who gets money and who doesn't. And some genuinely good business. I've got many an example of mm. um, borrowers that have come to us recently that um, are waiting 30 days for banks to pick up files. Mm. Um, and look, I think it's important to understand the type of business we're getting. Mm. We are getting some um, borrowers that we wouldn't have lent to before, mm. but we are getting some high quality borrowers that aren't, haven't been affected by COVID. Mm. I mean, things have to keep going. Yeah. They want to borrow money, they want to grow their businesses, mm. and things are going well. Yeah. But I think it's also important. That last time we came on your show, not saying that we had our crystal ball, but we were warning everybody the type of business they're lending their money to. Yeah. We made very strong assertions that we saw great risk lending to businesses where loans were only against that business as well, wasn't secured against property. Mm. I'd hate to, you know, I mean, Virgin comes to mind mm. um, and many others. Yeah. So I think it's important in this market to assess the risk. Mm. Um, what are you actually getting yourself involved in? Yeah. Um, do you understand um, where your, in, your money is going? Mm. And if it is you do, then you can assess the risk and reward. Yeah, and I, and I guess it is fair to say that if, if we agree with Chris Joy, who has a pretty optimistic view mm. on 2021, and Michael Knox, Chief Economist at Morgan, he has a, a, a positive view. And actually even IMF, IMF said bad 2020, rebounding mm. 2021. That, that, I guess, becomes uh, a security blanket to all businesses, yeah. let alone you, you guys as well. Yeah. I think on that market, when, when 2016 came and we, we saw it at the top of the market, mm. we changed our view on what um, type of borrowers or top, type of securities we took. Mm. We lowered our risk profile because we thought that it was toppy. So we thought that the, mm. the market was at the, the peaks. Now, with the, um, the lovely minds that you've mentioned mm. saying that it, we're at, you know, on the up, it does de-risk our view mm. because the security values go up. We're generally lending a little bit. It's a bit more forgiving. Okay. This is the, the, the last mm. question I'll ask you guys, but it's something that you know, has, has affected me. You know, I never ever cared mm. about medical statistics and virus statistics. Are you guys looking at that all the time and trying to become an expert on 
what the virus statistics are telling you about our economic future? Look, it's, it's sometimes hard not to because every right? single news item is about yeah. about the statistics and things such as that. Mm. Look, at the end, end of the day, it is a health crisis and we all as a society have to get through it. Right. Um, but I think uh, if you don't want to go too crazy, mm. don't try to look into it too much. Yeah. That's my advice. But cer certainly what we are seeing, particularly mm. here in Australia, um, is pretty good news. Yeah, absolutely. We're Got one of the lucky countries again. Yeah, guys, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, Paul Viren and Paul Miliotis from a company called M Squared Capital.